Please be seated. I am Annette Brownlee. I am a member of the faculty of Whitcliffe College. And as your insert says, lay people from this cathedral founded Whitcliffe College in 1877. We have been grateful ever since. And every fall, once a year, we come back to give you thanks. We're not the only visitors here today. I am delighted that we will have the chance to hear a choir from Emmanuel College in Cambridge. What a treat. Um, our principal has asked me to give them a message. Bishop Stephen Andrews, our principal, wants to, you to know that if any of you would like to be, go to seminary or do a doctorate in theology and Bible, Wycliffe is running a special for other members of the Commonwealth until October 31st. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. One of the things we emphasize in our teaching at Wycliffe is helping our students communicate the gospel to and in various cultures, especially in the post-culture Christian culture we live in in Canada, where people no longer know the basic Christian story and, more importantly, don't care or feel any need to look to the church. So in our courses, we teach and talk about the Christian message's continual relevance. Do people understand it anymore? Its phrases, its language, the things it's trying to affirm. As a teacher and preacher, of course, this is one of my greatest challenges, and at times I feel defeated by it. I am positively uplifted and transformed by the Christian tradition. It's what drew me to my life's work. But so many people today simply glaze over at the content of the tradition. And all around us, people insist that it must be reformulated, translated, and even altered. Can it speak today, be life-giving news? Here's a small example. I was at Jimmy's Coffee in Kensington Market recently. At the table crammed next to me were four young people. From what I could tell, the two young women were trying to convince their boyfriends to become Christians. Didn't seem to be going very well. One of the young women was saying, well, you have to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus, otherwise you won't be saved. And one of the boys pushed back. Why? I'm no different than you. I don't act different than you, and I'm going to be punished because I don't go to your youth group and give testimonies and tell everybody how sorry I am for my sins. I don't get it. But we hear Timothy say in our epistle reading this morning, the saying is sure and worthy of all to be received that Christ Jesus came into the world save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But as one of the boyfriends said, I don't get it, speaking for thousands and thousands. And it's certainly hard to explain what this phrase means or Christ's very first words in his ministry. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. 
repent. To take today's language, for example, means for so many people being sorry, apologizing, or being sincere. There was a lot of press this past August about Trudeau's refusal to apologize over the Lavalin affair. So many wanted him to. Would this have signaled his repentance? But what does that have to do with God, let alone salvation with heaven and life after death? We should be careful of sincerity tests because if we base things on them, we're all going to end up being lumped together in some very strange groups. But in any case, Christianity is not about sincerity or meaning well. It's about God, a particular God, revealed in Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who lived in the flesh of a first-century Palestinian and fulfilled the promise of divine love for the human race. This is where Christianity starts, with Jesus, not with us, our feelings or convictions. And repentance in the New Testament is almost always tied to this person, to Jesus. Repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the first Christian message announced by the apostles. And so repentance has to do with some kind of binding of ourselves to this person, Jesus, in whom God comes to us. And that's what our challenge today is about, and what we try to teach at Wycliffe, to explain why anyone should care about this kind of bonding to God and to the person, Jesus, through whom God works. So what does it mean, this common exhortation, repent and be saved, repent and have life, as Acts 11 puts it? I think our gospel story of the lost sheep and coin tell us what it means from God's point of view. That's the point, God's point of view. As you know, the story, people want to know why Jesus spends so much time hanging around sinners. He's just been eating dinner with them. And so he explains by telling this story. When a shepherd loses one sheep from his flock, he will leave the whole flock, go off, look for it until he finds it, pick it up with joy, then take the sheep home, call his family and friends, and have a party. Likewise, the woman with a coin. She puts down everything to find it, When she finds it, she texts her family and friends, and they have a party. That's what a shepherd does. That's what a woman does. And God, Jesus says, does it too with a sinner who repents. Just so I tell you, Jesus says at the end of the gospel, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And as the ending makes clear, we have here Jesus' own description of repentance itself. And the odd thing, though, if you notice, he doesn't say anything about what repentance looks like on the part of the sinner. In fact, there's no human agency at all described here. 
Jesus compares the repentant sinner to a sheep, passive, ignorant, wandering, or worse yet, to a coin. The only agent, the only actor, according to Jesus, is God the shepherd. So here's my question, and maybe yours. What does God do that turns the lost sheep into the penitent creature? And according to Jesus, four things. One, God goes after it. Two, God finds the sheep. Three, my favorite, God carries the sheep back to its rightful place, back to its home. And finally, God rejoices. God rejoices and calls together all of heaven and archangels and angels and spirits, cherubim and seraphim, the saints, as our cantor sang, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one retrieved dumb animal. All of this is a description of our repentance. And here our repentance contains nothing beyond our being sought after by God, our being found by God, lifted up and carried to our rightful place and rejoiced over Jesus says when God does all of that, we're repentant. There's nothing here about how we feel, sorry, contrite, guilty, ashamed, sincere. Nothing, for the sheep does nothing, feels nothing in this story. Coin certainly does nothing. God does it all. God feels it all. God makes all the noise. So if Jesus calls us to repent and believe in the gospel as he does, what are we supposed to do? And perhaps we need to hear this this morning. What are we supposed to do? We are supposed to let God do his thing. Which surely doesn't mean that repentance doesn't affect us or doesn't cause a change in us. The sheep is in one place, lost and alone, and then taken to another at a minimum from isolation to community. But the whole environment of the sheep is changed in every respect by the advent and actions of the shepherd. Yes, things are changed when God works our repentance. Maybe we can get at that change by asking ourselves and our churches these kinds of questions. Has God come after you? Can you hear God's footsteps? Has God found you? Can you see him? Has God lifted you up and carried you? That is, can you say where you are going and in all the things you do and spend your worry and energy and money and time on? Are you going to his place, your true home? And finally, is God rejoicing over you? That is, can you hear or glimpse, feel or sense the joy of God surrounding you? And you may answer, well, how would I know any of these things? How would I know if I hear God or sense God's joy or heading into the purposes of God? And of course, God doesn't leave us on our own to figure these things out. Our gospel certainly makes that point. To hear God is to hear his word. 
And his word is heard in scripture more than anywhere else. And we're called to listen to it together. Are we listening? And to go to God's place is to become more and more like God. As we hear in 1 John, we know that we shall be like him when we see him as he is. Are we growing? Are our churches growing into the image of our creator and how we act and treat people and use our gift and resources? And to sense God's joy is to participate in what he delights in, which is his love and justice. You see, there's nothing abstract about asking whether or not we are lost sheep that have been found and celebrated. God doesn't leave us on our own any more than he left the lost sheep on its own. But the point this morning in this gospel of the lost sheep I don't think is the details. The point is to see what repentance involves. And it involves the process of being bound to God's life, being tied to him and his people, being touched by him. It involves literally being taken by the divine hand and led. This is what Jesus tells us repentance is. No more and no less. And you see, I suspect the women in the coffee shop started at a difficult place in their evangelism of their boyfriends. Because if there is no God doing this, there is no repentance. If there is no place we are going, we belong to God. There is no repentance. We may say, like the young man pushing back, so what? So what if there's no repentance? I don't act any differently than you do. So if there's no repentance, because there is no God who works in our lives, what would you and I be missing? And in the end, as Jesus says, we would miss God's joy. And God's joy, as the prophets tell us, is at the center of his being and purpose. And how do we here at the cathedral How do we teach and prepare our students to communicate this to new generations whose response is, I don't get it, I don't really care? We would miss God's joy. Because Jesus tells us that's who God is, exulting and singing on heaven and earth, filled with joy over us. And we'd miss it miss God's very life if we choose to close ourselves to him. That's what repentance prevents, such closure. Repent unto life. Being saved means simply opening up, sharing, and enters God's life, which is why Jesus, in the first place, eats with sinners, to share his joy with them. So what are the alternatives Jesus lifts up today? That's what I think the young women at Jimmy's were struggling to articulate. Here is repentance, that's joy of being bound to God. And what's the alternative? Well, it's nothing. Nothing at all. 
The alternative to repentance is to stay just where we are. This is the promise of eternity of what the church calls the judgment of God. To be what one has chosen, to remain as one is. We can't say exactly what happens after we die, but we can probably say that we won't be much different in substance, in meaning from how we live today. Each one of us. When we die, the angry will remain for eternity. The bitter, the stingy will remain stingy. The hard-hearted hard. The malicious will remain mean. The hateful surrounded by hate or some such thing. And this is the question the gospel of Jesus is posing. If we're content with who we are and where we are and where we are going, and what we can sense and touch in our hearts as love and joy, God will let us be as we are. God will come after us, find us, lift us, carry us, rejoice over us, but we'll be oblivious to it and we'll remain as we are. Heaven will seem silent, glory darken, death an end. I've seen it all around me, as I'm sure you do, at funerals, in hospital, in counseling sessions at the mall, people walking through life and death. But the gospel says repent and believe in the good news of Jesus. Believed and saved. This is the good news. God has given the church to spread and speak into in every generation and culture. The saying is sure and worthy of all to be received. Maybe we could put it this way to the young man in Jimmy's, trying to make sense of these strange Christian words. Do you want to remain as you are? Or does any part of you desire to be caught up in the arms of the one who has created you and will lead you to a place where your flesh meets light and life? And of course, God hasn't left us on our own to conjure up God for this young man, for ourselves, or for anyone else. God's features instead stand etched in the gospel accounts of Jesus, who receives sinners and eats with them, who drinks wine with them and laughs with them, who teaches and heals and touches them, who embraces them and challenges and even chastises them at times but who leads them, who goes on before them, who stands afar off and suffers and dies for them, who returns to them in glory and indwells their spirits and their common lives, and who rejoices and sings and dances when they and we open our eyes and our arms and let God be our God. Amen.